Hey everybody, it's Richard Harrison, Scott Lease with the Serpent Sales Podcast here with another episode. As we slowly start to wrap up 2020, um, we are super excited to have our guest today from a professional Major League Baseball team. I'm going to let Scott introduce him. Um, but uh, obviously want to give a, a quick shout out to Vidyard, Gong, and Lead 411, our December sponsors. So thank you to all of them for, for supporting us and helping us do these things. And Scott, I'm gonna let you take it over for a second and uh, while I get yeah. something set up. Well, with, with that intro, everybody's probably expecting Miguel Cabrera to be on the show or something like that. But uh, I hate to let everybody down. We're, we're actually talking with Director of Ticket Sales for the Detroit Tigers, Andrew Sidney. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Scott, Richard, thanks for, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. You've been in uh, ticket sales and group sales and in, in in professional sports for uh for quite a long time and it's like a marriage of my my two favorite uh subjects sales and, and sports so talk take us back to the beginning a little bit like how did you get into sports and ticket sales and why did you get into it yeah happy to um you know for me when i when i first it was graduating school ithaca i you know ithaca college in new york i'm from there originally i i always I always wanted to be involved in sports. I just, I didn't really know how to, how to do that. I, I actually played, you know, baseball for a couple of years there. Um, and I, I, I knew I wanted to get involved with sports. I just wasn't sure how. Um, took sport management at the college and opened my eyes to different avenues that you could go down. And I know we talk a lot and I listen to you, to the podcast and, and we, you know, you guys talk a lot about um, people who want to be in sales, right? Like show me you want it, show me you want to do this career. And, I, I had no idea I wanted to do this career. I was like, hey, I just want to be in sports and, and I'll figure it out. Um, and I got a couple of opportunities after I applied um, to work for my hometown team, the New York Mets, or a minor league baseball team in Dallas, Texas called the Frisco Rough Riders. And after talking to some of the leadership there um, and understanding what sales meant and what kind of what went into it um, and how competition and attitude and work ethic, the more you put in, the more you get out, really makes a difference. Um, I decided to go to Frisco um, because the leadership there seemed like they, they at the time, um, had a little bit better of a plan for, for me and what my career was gonna look like. Um, so I decided to get in there. I started in sales. I hated the first three months of it. I was making a hundred cold calls a day. It's like, what is going on here? Why am I here in Dallas? I don't know a soul. Um, and my, my, you know, my support system, my family was just like, look, give it another three months, see how it goes. You could always come back here. Um, and after, you know, kind of getting more mentorship, if only investing myself in this as a career and not just a job, um, turn, things started to turn around. I got more confidence, um, made some more connections in Dallas, and it kind of took off from there. Um, so spent five years in, in Dallas and in Frisco in a great suburb and um, you know, really loved it and then had an opportunity to, to kind of jump to uh, the NBA at that point. And, and that's, that's, that's where this all started, I guess. What's, what's so interesting to me, and I believe this is true, and you can correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, but, you know, I know people who um, play professional sports. I, I know folks who coach at the collegiate level as well as the professional level. Um, and one of the things that you that just becomes a part of your life is the transient nature of the business. Like you are moving on from one city to the next, one franchise to the next. And, and in your, you know, uh, 
you know, work and in the organ at the organizational level, like you're changing sports, right? Like you're going from minor league baseball to the NBA to major league baseball. That comes with the territory, it seems, right? So can you talk about like, why is that lifestyle, you know, uh, appealing and how hard it is to uproot yourself from New York to Frisco to Houston to Detroit and, and, you know, how people who are thinking about getting into that industry should, should think about that stuff as they weigh whether or not it's the right fit for them. That's an awesome question. It's not something I, I knew going in. Um, it was something that I was like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to move to Frisco and, and see how it goes and, and then figure it out. Maybe I'll be in Dallas. Maybe I'll move back to New York. You know, who, who knows, but you know, I think just like a player on the field, right? Like sometimes I kind of equate this to our, st- our sales staff too. Like if you're a young prospect and you're, you're working your way up, right. In, in double a triple a, you finally get that call up to the big leagues. Um, and Miguel Cabrera is sitting at, at third base right in front of you and you play third base and he's in the prime of his career. How are you going to get playing time, right? Either you become better at another position um, or you get really good at what you do and to a point where your value is so high that they can trade you and you, you have to go to a new team or you leave as a free agent, right? And, and that's how I kind of look at our business side too, right? Like sometimes the opportunities for growth aren't there internally um, because there's equal equally somebody really good right there who's not planning on going anywhere in front of you. And you have to look, look outside the organization to get that growth. Um, it's so, so, it's so yeah. interesting to me. It's so interesting to me how naturally that, that way of thinking has evolved in, in your sales industry and how unnatural that is in software sales. I mean, I, I, that's how I always thought about it, but I know for a fact people don't think about it that particular way. I think that's a really good call out. Yeah, and, and go ahead, Richard. No, go, I want to go add on to that because I'm going to ask you a different question. No, I, I, I think it's interesting. I was just going to comment on the, the path of software, you know, as a solution and then sports. Like, I read all the stuff that you guys send out because I feel like there's a lot of connections. But then there's also stuff that, to Scott's point, just doesn't, doesn't compute on both sides uh, just yet. So it's just interesting. So, you know, one of the, we, we talked to a couple of professional athletes, Scott included, who told us that, you know, you know, the best way to make your mark is to find the biggest, baddest guy on the team and go knock him out. Right. This is one of Scott's favorite stories about himself, but as well as as well as an NFL player. Do you feel like it's that competitive? Is it in, in the bullpen, right? In your office with the team, do you feel like that competitive nature is super high in professional sports ticket sales or no, it's just like any other sales team when you talk to your other friends who are salespeople. It's a great question. I, I think certain, certain folks are like that. Certain folks aren't, um, you know, I, I think certain organizations are like that too. Like in Frisco, when I started super competitive, um, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of competitive people, you had to, you had to outwork everybody and do it in a, what's that mean in ticket sales though? Like that's, you know, like, like your, so in, in, in Frisco, for example, we had territories, right? So you were only assigned out a territory that you could go into on specific zip codes. But if you got a referral to someone else's territory, like you could go into their territory and sell something. Um, and that always, that was always super competitive. Like who can get the most referrals in someone else's territory to go say, Hey, guess what? Scott, I just sold something in your territory. Like you better work harder. Um, staying late, getting there early, 
I mean, our hours were seven, uh, seven in the morning, seven thirty in the morning to six thirty at night. Like it was a lot of hours working games. It was, it was challenging. So just high work ethic, um, and then always on. Right, you're always trying to think about that next sale. That's how I term, you know, the, the competitive. Scott, you just missed out, man. This this would have been your ideal first sales job, right? Although no, it really, it, it really would. You know, it really would have been. Yeah. So, what, like, how hard is it? Like, I, you know. And let, you know, let's not talk about 2020. We will talk about that, but like, is it harder selling to in Frisco than it is to sell in, you know, Detroit or in, you know, in a normal time, right? Like, you know, do people really want to buy season tickets to, to the double A or triple A team or the single A team? Yeah. So it's interesting. It, and it's, it's fun to have minor league and major league experience because, the big difference is the players, right? Like the win-loss records matter in, in pros versus, versus minor leagues. So I can make the argument that in the minor leagues, it, you know, it's almost easier because your, your play on the field really does not affect you at all. You're just talking about value, experiences. Um, you're talking Love to the game, that kind of stuff. Exactly. You're talking to businesses about you know, their employee recognition program, your client retention, how do you prospect for, for new business, um, and they, and they understand that, um, and it doesn't matter if you're good or bad. Uh, here, in, here in Detroit, right, like, we have a bad team, like the elephant in the room, the team's not performing well, but there's always hope for the future. Um, and our, the, the, what I've discovered about the market here is that everyone's a fan because it's the only team in Michigan uh, that plays during the summer. Everyone's, everyone's a fan of, of the Tigers. So if you own a business – um, it could affect how you, if you look at it as a fan or as a business owner. Um, so that becomes challenging. And then in Houston, the team was good. So we had a lot of momentum, but your sales processes still need to be there in order to take advantage of how, how the team's doing on the court or on the field. There's always next year, Richard. That's like the, you know, the, the line that never, that never ends in, in sports. You're either selling wins or you're selling hope. Either one. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Isn't that everybody? You're selling the win or you're selling the hope. So that's, that's right. I think that's the title. I think we just got the title of, of our podcast. Let me ask you, uh, the question I want to ask you now, Andrew, is what do folks in your industry do better than people who are selling software? What are you all better at that, that, our listeners who are not in this industry or in the software sales industry or hardware or whatever, <clears throat> what are you guys better at than us? What do we stand to learn from you? Ooh, that's a tough one. Cause I, I look at, I look at people who are not in the sports industry and, and selling other products. I, I mean, I learn from, from those people all the time. I think there's, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. You talk a lot about, you know, sales ops and rev ops. Like, like we don't really have that. Right. We're, yeah. you know, we're, we're knocking on doors and making, well, I asked you this question. I asked you this question on purpose because I know there's a lot of things that, you know, we could bring to the, the sales industry and sports and like, you know, candidly have a massive fucking impact, but I'm curious in the flip side, like there, there's gotta be some things I think that you all do better than some of us do. And so I'm curious if, if you can pinpoint any of those things. Even if it's just a hunch and not based on any kind of fact or data. Yeah, I, I think when I look at some of our top reps, the the things that they do really well are, you know, they're 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 gritty. Number one, right? They're they're always 
their grit is at a super high level. Uh, and then number two, just the, most of our success is on the B2B side um, when it comes to our, our top reps, when they're pitching other businesses. Our, our process, um, how we implement creativity and um, into our sales pitches and using the, the fun of sports, um, I think you know, that, that can differentiate us a little bit um, when it comes to what we're doing um, on a sales side. So, you know, at the end of the day, we're selling fun, we're selling entertainment, and we've, we are able to implement that, I think, a little bit more into our, into our sales focus, our sales pitches. That's true. I, I don't know how many pitches there are that are selling fun when somebody's selling HR software, Richard. What do you think? I, I agree with you. Like, you are selling something that's there's even if they don't necessarily like sports at least it's you know it, it's probably the easiest way to say hey it's not you it's they don't like sports right like it's probably the easiest one they don't care um what um how just out of curiosity how big is again not in 2020 how big is an average sales team at a, at a professional sports that, that you've seen or experienced yeah i think i think on average um you know, it's, it's anywhere from 20 to 30 salespeople on a floor, including we have a service team as well that handles kind of our retention of season ticket members and things like that. Are those separated out in the org? Are those two, two different functions or are those all rolling under one? Uh, usually they're, they're two different functions that end up rolling up to a VP who oversees the whole department. How do you, so you talked about sales process not being there or, or ops, what kind of things do you wish you could bring in? Yeah. And, know, why, and why, and why haven't, and why haven't they? That was the next there? question. Yeah. What's yeah. the barrier? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think some of it's, some of it's just straight up resources on, you know, where, where people are putting their, their focus on money, right? Like we're paying for a lot of players uh, and that's where a lot of the, the, the funds go. Um, you know, I think, looking at different suggestions, you know, I think number one would be a, you know, a sales operations team. There, there are, there are, um, I know one team definitely has this already. The MSG has, has a lot of different resources um, that in the Knicks and the Rangers that they're able to um, utilize some, some different techniques and, and, and some technology a little bit uh, further advanced than some other organizations. Um, I think sports is just naturally like sports is just behind on the business and sales side. I think like, you know, we're, we're just getting into, um, you know, figuring out zoom, right? Like, like that's, that's new for us. It's new for everybody or, 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 you know, um, just looking at it like the 10, they're almost like five to 10 years behind, like our, our CRM that just kind of started in sports, maybe seven or eight years ago, like getting everyone's information in a database and using it to, to sell at a higher level and, and making the, the organization more connected and everyone can see everything. So I think we're just a little bit behind there. Um, and I don't, I don't know the reason as to, as to why I think like, if you look at baseball 20 years ago, right, there was, there was really maybe one or two salespeople that, that handled everything. There was a box office that handled season ticket members and there was no traditional sales outreach. So, a lot of this is just getting, getting started. Um, you know, so it's, it's kind of cool to, to be on that piece and then have opportunities to add and suggest things that we think will make the company and business run better. 
is, is the strategy, how does the strategy differentiate for when you're selling sponsorships versus season tickets or, you know, the, the, the suite level uh, tickets and, and things like that? Yeah. So on the ticket sales side, when you're talking about just, you know, Joe, Joe Smith, who's buying four season tickets for him and his family, you know, our strategy is to call them, email them, we've text, um, get them down to the ballpark and show them their seats and get that, that emotion, you know, talking about the crack of the bat, the smell of hot dogs, the smell of the field, right? Get them emotionally connected and remembering their, their memories of what it was like for them as, as a kid at a baseball game um, and selling them hopefully there, right? But that, that strategy is quantity over, over anything else. How many, how many people can we get in? How many calls can we make? How many emails can we send? How many texts? How much, you know, how many people can we get to raise their hand that we can reach out to? Um, so that's on the ticket sales side. When it comes to premium and corporate partnerships, it's a little bit more, um, you know, I, I think, uh, struggling for the word, just, just, just less about the quantity and more about the quality of the approach. Um, it's, a, it's a little bit slower of a process. It takes a little bit of a longer time to get that done. Multiple meetings, going to their office, inviting yeah. them to the park, all that good stuff. But, how, but so, so talk to, about the specific tactics, like, okay, you're the only game in town in the summer, but like, let's say, you know, you're trying to sell to richard.com. Okay. Like there's the Tigers, there's the Lions, there's the Pistons. Maybe there's people who are sponsoring in the stadium at Ann Arbor or with Michigan state and all the other, like, you know, big games in, in and around town and around, around the state. Like, how do you tactically approach somebody who's maybe sponsoring nothing as of yet? And then what about the people who are sponsoring the Pistons, but not the Tigers? Like, am I talking to Richard and I'm, and, and I'm selling for the Tigers? And I'm like, listen, you don't want to support the Pistons, okay? You want to support the Tigers. Like, what are you saying? I'm so curious about this. No, so so we never we never really try and talk bad about the other teams, right? Because that's that's kind of a faux pas. We don't want to do that. Um, I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think so. But I'm just curious. Yeah, no, we we, we try we try to avoid that. Um, you know, I think our our approach is is essentially to talk about what what we've seen other companies that have you know, been successful. So we'll use, we'll use testimonials and examples of other companies that work with us now that are hopefully in a similar space, similar industry. So we'll try and tie that back and we'll name drop some folks in that industry that work directly with us in the hopes that that spurs whoever we're talking to, to say, oh shit, they're working with the Tigers. Like if they're, if they're sponsoring Comerica, we, we gotta do that too, right? Like, or if they have a premium suite at Comerica, like we need one of those also. Um, so we'll try and name drop, set up an appointment, do a lot of face-to-face -face that way for those higher end sales. Um, so that, that's the approach. I mean, the, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a call to get them on the, or an email, hopefully to set up a phone call to set that meeting, get that face-to-face -face appointment, do a discovery, uh, come back to the office, invite them down for a lunch and then do a pitch. So that's, that's the strategy. I hope that answers the question on, on how we how we approach going after those people. Yeah, for sure. I love it. So super curious to me. So let's let's dive into 2020, right? Like how has it, I mean, I, I can only assume it's rough. Are you know what what are you hearing? I mean, it's, the, it's probably the hardest objection 
specific to your industry in sports than anything, which is, oh, you know, what are we doing? Like, how, like, we can't come to the stadium. We can't do anything. How is, how did, how did you guys adjust to that? I mean, it, it rocked our world just like everybody else. Um, but, you know, with our industry and, and sports, it's probably going to be the last thing that, that comes back to, um, to full, full capacity of, of, of what we used to be like or whatever that was. Um, you know, our, our organization, you know, the Illich family has done such an amazing job with, with our employees. I mean, we've seen it throughout sports, you know, layoffs and furloughs. Like our, our staff is relatively intact um, moving forward, which is, which is tremendous. Um, you know, for us, where our main focus when this whole started was how can we, how can we continue to work and be productive? So that was just a lot of prospecting, you know, and, and checking in with our clients. Like a lot of teams didn't make a call or touch base for a few weeks during COVID when it first started. They just shut in March. down. They just shut down. Right. Um, so we kind of took it what are you? Because what, what are you selling right now? Like you're not selling any, anything in the moment, right? No, yeah. not selling anything. The only thing we were, we were selling is the fact that we, you know, and we did, we cared about our, our clients, right? So that care and that, you know, that more service oriented approach we took, we made a lot of phone calls to our season ticket members, just checking in with them, not even talking about baseball or sales or anything, just how you doing, right? Um, so we took that approach, we did a lot of training. Um, and then, you know, we started making outreach once we realized that the whole season was gonna be impacted and we're not gonna have fans um, to keep, basically to have folks keep their funds on account for this year, for 2020 into 2021. So a lot of our job was, was those calls. And now we're actually selling for 21, um, you know, just like we normally would and we'll adjust as needed um, as April approaches. You, 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 you said something interesting. So we did a bunch of training, right? Like you, you stepped back and you did some internal things. Like what kind of training do you, do you teach at, I mean, I'm assuming it's very similar to everywhere else, but is there something different you have to teach people to do when selling tickets? Um, and particularly, you know, at this stage. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's very similar. You know, we have, we have sales scripts and, you know, a playbook that we operate off of. Um, so it's, you know, a lot of it's role-playing, making sure people are on their game. So we, we did a lot of that. Um, you know, part of one of the trainings we ran through was a LinkedIn branding training on, 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 uh, on LinkedIn, right? Like how do you get your profile to a point where people want to talk to you? Right. And, and it's not just a resume. It's, it's how you're using that to, to increase sales and, and, and increase your brand online. So what are those tips? Like Scott and I talk about this a lot. I'm curious, like what kind of advice are you giving to folks on their LinkedIn brand? I'm curious how much it overlaps with what the way we do things. Yeah. You know, a lot of it's fundamental because we, you know, some of most of the people we hire are right out of school and they start off in what we call an inside sales program where they're working for six to 12 months, first job. They, they maybe didn't even have a LinkedIn profile, right? At, at this point, a lot of college kids do, but they may not. Um, so how to get yourself to stand out, right? With a, it's, it's like put a professional photo in the, you know, in the profile, right? Don't, don't have a photo of you drinking beer at college, right? Like that's where we start literally the fundamentals of, of what it is. How do you write your about page, your summary page? Um, you know, how to search LinkedIn for leads and opportunities, keywords, um, you know, how, how, to, how to comment on, on different things, what groups to join. It's all, a lot of it's fundamental. How do you get your connections up? So it says 500 plus, right? Like 
all of these little things that I think are best practices. Um, you know, we, we would never have the time. This was what was interesting is we wouldn't have the time to sit down and do an hour, two hour training on that uh, during the season. It's just too, it's too crazy. Um, but with, with COVID that gave us time to step back and our, our leadership team challenged executive team challenged our leadership team. Hey, what can we do that we normally wouldn't have a chance to, to improve our sales process and improve our salespeople? Well, you, you, ha you have to do to work on um, inside sales training, as well as face-to-face -face sales, depending on the role, I suppose, because, you know, you're selling at events or at the games and, and themselves two very different animals, right? So you're Absolutely. sort of training, like you have this hybrid kind of sales staff. So how do you take somebody who's comfortable in inside sales and get them to be an effective face-to-face, in-person, seventh inning stretch seller? Yeah, that's, that's an awesome question. So our inside sales team, we, when they start, I mean, they go through a you know, two week big training to get themselves up, up uh, onboarded. Um, and a lot of their first six months is, is completely on the phone. I mean, they rarely, you know, they'll rarely secure a meeting. Um, so a lot of their jobs. They on the start phone. on the phone. They're not starting face to face. They're starting on the phone. They're starting on the phone, but they go through ongoing. I mean, we, we hold ongoing trainings during this time to get them to that point. Our whole goal as a leadership team is like when somebody, when that spot becomes open, we want to promote from inside sales. We don't want to have to go hire somebody else who hasn't been through our, our minor league system, right? Like that's, that's the goal. Um, so we want them to be ready to be the number one AE when that time, when that time comes. So it's ongoing training. We'll have them hook up with an AE, uh, you know, who does a really good job, show them the ropes. They work directly with our management team on, on training on, you know, what to say in person, how to build rapport, how to, how to transition into your question path, what to ask on the discovery, how to set that next appointment. Um, all of that is, is on ongoing. I think that's the big word that we try and use. Like if, if it drops for a certain period of time, like everyone, they lose it. You have to continually train. Um, it's the only way for, for anyone to remember it, to get it to that muscle memory point. I want to know what, go ahead, Scott. But that sounds like it's hard for you to do during the season. So how do you, how do you reconcile that, Andrew? Because I heard you say, well, we don't have time to spend an hour of training during the season because it's madness. But now you're like, you have to constantly train. So yeah. I'm, not I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm trying how do you, how do you pull it off? How do you accomplish no, both? No, that's a great question. I think, I think I more specifically, like on something like a LinkedIn, like a brand training, we probably wouldn't make that a priority. The in-person training, that that's always a priority. So I should clarify that there are certain, I feel like there's certain trainings like subject line or, you know, how to, you know, the emails, right? Like, like, like what keywords to use, like those trainings kind of tend on our end to fall on the priority list, you know, to the, to the, uh, when we're, when we're more focused on that face-to-face, -face, how you on the phone, the role play, things like that. That's great. What's it, you said earlier, like it's, it's, you can't do it during the day. You can't do it during, I'm sorry. You can't do it during the season. Okay. So it's May. Let's, you know, what am I doing as a rep? You know, games are playing. What, you know, what's my grind like? Yeah. So it depends if we have a day game or a night game, right? Sometimes we have a one o'clock day game, which is a totally different day than, than a night game. 
Um, so in a day game, right, your, your day's kind of shot, right? Your, your job is to work, work the crowd, go out there, you know, make your call, set up yourself for a successful day at the game. And then from one to four, you're hopefully selling, we have sales tables and things set up at the, at the game. You're hopefully talking to different people, working the crowd. So that, that's your job there. On a night game, you're really working a normal, a normal day. Um, so you're, you're making, you know, our goal, we have a point hustle point system um, that revolves around call, calls, emails, texts, and meetings set. So your goal is to hit your 100 points that you're required to ever on a daily basis. And it's a weighted, a weighted you know, average on, on what you do. Um, how many calls like, a day am I supposed to make? How many emails? How many, you know? Yeah, it depends. So you could have a day, Richard, like maybe you make 10 calls in a day, but you have four meetings set and you went on three of them. Like that, that would be a 100 point day right? Like that would be a successful day. There may be days where you don't set a meeting, but you have to make 80 calls because, you know, you didn't, you really couldn't get anything else going. Um, so it, it varies. Right. Do you, do you, um, have you ever spent any time outside of sports sales? Like, have you ever done anything else or, do you, you know, are you so committed? No. So I, I haven't, I, my only non-sports sales was working, uh, working the cashier in retail at uh, Chuck E. Cheese when I was in high school. Um, so I, I did that. No, I, I, I've been in the sport. Yeah, go ahead. So what, what, what translated over from Chuck E. Cheese to professional sports sales at the Detroit Tiger? <laughs> working with seeing kids around the, around the ballpark. That's really, right. Um, yeah, my, you're still selling joy and entertainment, though. You are selling right. selling that experience, so that that's pretty, that's pretty accurate. Very very smooth transition there, Richard. Yeah, I, look, I got to figure it out, right? What? Um, how do you? You know, like this is the fan in me, right? Do you get to meet the players? Do you get to go like hang in the dugout ever? Like, what's that like? <laughs> So rarely do we ever get to go in the dugout. We, we do have, um, the most time I've, I've ever interacted with the players, like it's, it's pretty separate, um, but at our sales events that we host. So we, we're big here in Detroit on, on, on uh, securing some you know, larger names to come out, answer a little Q&A with, with the crowd. Um, and then our, sales, our salespeople are responsible to invite their key prospects down to that event. Um, and we use the name, the player to, incentivize them to come and then hopefully we sell them in person at that that event um so sometimes we'll have me myself or my boss we're on we do a sales pitch during that during that time frame for the crowd so we're in front of 100 200 people doing a quick sales pitch before the the q a with the player um you know so i'll get to interact a little bit with with the players there uh for example virtual we did a virtual sales event with pudge rodriguez last night um, so, you know, that was, that was pretty cool. Hall of Fame catcher, former tiger, it was virtual. We wish it could have been in person, but, um, that was a fun interaction. Got to speak with him a little bit prior to, so that was cool. Harder, harder sale, NBA or MLB? It's MLB, not, and not because, not because I work for the Tigers versus the Rockets, who were, you know, a perennial NBA final contender when I was there. I'd say the amount of games is, is a big difference. Um, well, I mean, you're, sell, you're selling 81 games versus 41, right? Yeah, that right? yeah, exactly. That's the yeah. full season difference. 
um, you know, it's, it's hard to meet someone who says 81 games is the perfect amount of games for me. Right. Like that it seems a little. <laughs> Scott would be your ideal customer. Yeah. That works for me. <laughs> right. yeah, no problem with that. But he would just, in fact, he would buy a suite and he would just work there all day. He'd even work there on off days. I would just hang out. I just hang out there. I just, I'm looking at Andrew's background right now and it just brings me joy. Yeah. You know, it's the, funny. The we we, we have had some companies purchase a suite and, and then they knock out the walls, they make a little office. So, and they work there sometimes. That's, that's something we do. Oh, there we go. Richard, Surf and Sales HQ. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Comerica Park. Comerica Park. Right. I can, I can deal with that. Yeah. I can deal with that. What do you, what do you find to be, um, you know, as you manage people, right. Um, you know, there, there's always challenges of managing people. Uh, what's it like to motivate a team when you don't have a, a, a sales team, when you don't have a successful team on the field? Um, how do you try to motivate them? Um, what kind of challenges do you have, you know, running the team? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's something that we, we have to try and take the on-field play completely off the table, um, whether we're good or bad uh, from a leadership standpoint. Like if we're good, then is that, our, sorry, is that the number one excuse factory that you get from the rep? How do you expect me to sell, Andrew, the team is not good? Is that the, is that the easiest default for them? Yeah, it's either, hey, I'm not, they're not interested because the team's bad or they don't want to spend the amount, you know, it's a time commitment thing. Those are probably our top two. Prior to COVID. So how do you, so how would you rebut those? Well, you're a sales rep, right? Let's, let's turn this into a training. Hey, the team is 15 and 45, right? Andrew, no way am I spending money coming to, to a, a game or season tickets. Yeah, I would, we coach our, our reps to say something to the effect of, you know, Hey, totally appreciate that feedback. You know, honestly, I work, I work 81 games a year and, and it's painful for me to, to leave the ballpark and, and not have a smile on my face after a win. Um, but what we found is our season ticket member renewal rate this past year was about 88%, which is top crazy. It's top five in, in major league baseball. And there's a, there's a passion for tiger baseball wow. here. Um, and folks like you who, who truly care about the team and care about the direction that we're headed um, those are the type of fans that that we need at the ballpark that we want to have at the ballpark. So how about how about this? How about you come down to the park? I'll give you a private tour. You, if you have kids, bring them on down. I'll show you around the ballpark a little bit. I even may have an autographed baseball for you guys. I just want to have a conversation and see what you know if you were to to join us for next year, what that could look like for you. Here's what I heard. I heard feel felt found. I heard some labeling going on, and then you and then you you pitch the demo. Right. Like that was it. Scott, what did you hear? Listen, I couldn't get over the fact that Andrew is not happy about having 81 games. I'm very fixated on <laughs> like, like 81 opportunities. Like I would, I, if I was selling in this environment, like every time a game was played, I'd be like, shit, that's one less thing for me to sell. Like this, this like there's a, this is interesting. Like there's a limited amount of inventory. So as, as a seller, I would be feeling like, man, my sense of urgency is like through the roof. You know what I mean? Like every single day, I got one less thing I can sell. That doesn't happen in software. That doesn't happen in, tra in, in training necessarily unless Very true. you're over, yeah. overbooked, Richard, and you don't have the bandwidth for it, right? But like if I'm selling, you know, for Salesforce or, or 
Vidyard or Gong or Lead 411 or sponsors, right? Let's say I'm a Gong salesperson. There's an infinite number of Gong software purchases I can sell in sports. In, in 162 game baseball season, 81 of them are at home. I got 81 opportunities and that's it. And when they run out, I'm shit out of luck until next year. Am yeah. I, am I onto something here? No, yeah. you are. I think, I think the key is, is you've got 81 opportunities with X amount of people in the ballpark, right. That are new, that potentially are new leads too, right. For you to talk to. Mm -hmm. So you've got to take advantage of that time. We're not going to get another opportunity to get that many eyeballs on, on us during, during a normal season. Um, and it's, it's cyclical sports. That's the thing, right? Like, you know, right now is a really downtime during, during winter baseball's over, you know, essentially major league baseball is, you know, in a normal, in a normal time frame, the world series end, this is a very quiet time, but January 1st comes and we start picking back up and we're always selling, like we're always selling for the next year. Um, like around May, we'll transition to group sales and suite sales for like the full staff. We'll put in a full like three month push for as much as we can for that current year. And then we flip it to the next year. Um, so there's always something to sell, but to your point, we need to take advantage of all those games. If we don't, right, we're, we're just shooting ourselves in the foot. And so do you, I, well, I, not all of them, but I assume there's a, plethora of data when people go online and buy their tickets so you already know they're here you know they're coming to the game you then reach out to those people and say hey we'd like to buy tickets or while they're at the game or do you do it beforehand like how do you navigate that i'm just curious the process no for sure um on a game day in a normal normal scenario we would pull our you know two three hundred seats that were purchased on maybe StubHub or purchased online that were single game purchases and we would tag their seat with a, with a little card that says, you have won a special prize. Please visit this, this table uh, behind section 134. Ideally, they pick up their card, they bring it to the sales table. We give them a small little tchotchke as, a, as your, your prize, but our, but our salespeople are working there. And the goal is to have a conversation with them. Um, additionally, our sales team's responsible to set up appointments during the games with folks who are coming, maybe they bought one game, two games, we send their top, our top right. leads prior to the game so that they know who's, where they're sitting. That's all. Scott, has that ever happened to you? You bought enough tickets. I've done it. I've never had anybody put a little card on my chair and tell me I won something. No, I, 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 I win nothing. I, I'm very, <laughs> bitter, very bitter about this. I've been to a million games and I think I've caught one foul ball and I had one like blast through my hand and damn near break my fingers. I have one of those no. that broke through. Yeah. I don't get I, I, I don't know. Nothing gets left on my seat. No, no. Sorry. <laughs> hey, you know, uh, back real quick, Andrew, back to this like LinkedIn kind of training that, that you delivered. Do you ever use this analogy with people? Like how many people does Comerica Park hold in the stadium? What's the Roughly 40,000. 40, 40,000. 40, okay. My LinkedIn post from today is that 32,000 something views right now so it's 75% capacity of Comerica Park do you ever do you ever try to use the analogy to your your sales reps like look you know if you build a you know a network and create content regularly like every single day you could fill this fucking stadium with people who are reading your stuff 
in your content and getting involved? You ever, you ever have that dialogue with them? You should, if you haven't. I'm going to steal what you just said. So thank you. I think yeah, the 40,000 yeah, 40, to 32,000 is a great, great example. Um, we talk a lot about, about posts that, you know, it's, it's not just about selling, right. It's, a, it's about um, providing value for people so that you can get more views and, and, and build your network like that. But I've never used the 40,000 analogy. So that's, that's definitely what I'm going to take from, from this and implement. Yeah. I, th I think it's fascinating too, because I think you guys could write some amazing content and again you know, just with the tie of sports and sales and how often it's you know, used and to a certain extent maybe overused you guys would get great visibility and you actually add some value to the community of like oh my god this is cool right like it's different than scott talking about his stuff or richard talking about his or like the, i don't see anybody talking about sports or sports sales and you know, the, the top yeah. directions and there's how we whole, overcome the whole market. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole untapped market there. You yeah. know, who's the, who's the leading voice in that particular field. I couldn't tell you who it is. Yeah. I don't even know if there is one. Yeah. Right. Maybe so, it should be, maybe it should be us, Richard. Maybe we just need to pivot. This software I, game is like, I think we need to, I think we need to ask Andrew for three recommendations to other people at the ticket company, ticket teams to, we should talk. Well, to. Just, I mean, it's been a long time since I've been to Detroit. I mean, maybe we need to get out there. I I agree. I had a couple of clients up there. So Nothing, did you guys? Yeah. Andrew, so Andrew, how, we we gotta we gotta wrap here, but we always try to end every show by saying, you know, how can we help you? What questions do you have for us? Is there you know something that you're working on behind the scenes that you want to you know give a plug to? Um, so here we are. What can we do for you? Yeah, I think for me, you know, I. I try and do a lot of just personal research on software sales and how it, how it connects to sports. And you asked me the question earlier about what we do, you know, better. Um, and I, would love to hear your take on that. And then also, you know, just, just what, where the, where, where what salespeople are doing in that, in that specific space that you feel like sports people are not even close to. Oh my God. The list. Go ahead, Richard. Yeah, the list is yeah, long. Go ahead, Richard. So, you go. You go first. Yeah, the the list is fairly long. I think the sales operations piece is critical, and it's not expensive, right? Like, like you know, the excuse factor I hear of, well, we got to spend money on the players, is like, yeah, you do, but you have plenty of places to draw that funds from. Plus, we're supposed to be one of them, so you know, a, a certain level of of guidance in here of knowing our data better and knowing how to leverage that data to sell more tickets, you know, it, it, it feels like for lack of a better phrase, it feels like you could saber metrics, the approach to getting that kind of piece in there. Right. Um, that's the first thing I think that um, it, you it's at least for your team, it sounds like you guys are doing a good job of training, but I think some formalized stuff could just from a different voice would be beneficial for the sake of, you know, they're tired of hearing it from, from you, right. Or your other sales leaders. Right. I think, and that happens in every organization, right. That's, that's why we're brought in to do stuff. Um, I also think um, I would highly encourage you to hire Scott to rewrite your pitch. And I bet he would actually do it and call your actual customers and close them in a one call close. Um, like he's shaking his head for those who are listening. Um, Cause it, Scott's an awesome pitch writer. And um, since he's a massive sports fan, he could talk the lingo, lingo better than most. Uh, I think those would be the three things I'd tell you to do. So. 
I, I'll, I'll tackle the other part of your question, I think, Andrew, which I think you were saying, what do we think that you all in the sports industry are doing better than, uh, than us? Um, did I hear that correctly? Yeah, I'd love your take on that, but also like specifically salespeople, what they're, what in software sales, how, how they're approaching it in a better way than, than sports sales. Yeah. Um, well, I think, I think the piece about what are you all maybe doing better is, um, I think you all still have the hustle. And I, and I think that a lot of that is being automated and lost and kind of, genetically engineered out of um, software selling. You know, it, anything from like AEs no longer want to prospect because they've got SDRs, or, you know, booking appointments for them all day long, right? Um, so I, I think like you talked about at the beginning, how sometimes during the season, you know, you're in the office at 7.30 and like you got a night game and so you're not leaving the stadium until 10.30 maybe like, very few software sellers, I think, are working those kind of hours regularly anymore. And that was part of the grind, you know, when Richard and I were kind of first getting getting started. So I think you still have an element of, of hustle that is uh, superior than, than a lot of folks in, in software right now. As far as what you're, you're lacking, I mean, yeah, the, the, the lack of operational excellence is shocking. The lack of utilization of modern selling tools is shocking. The lack of crossover in terms of getting help and assistance to help the, the sellers and the sales leaders improve is a bit shocking to me. Um, and, and just staying in this kind of antiquated arena and being comfortable being five to 10 years behind, as, as you put it, like that flies against everything that makes sense as a hyper-competitive professional athletic, professional sports organization and professional athlete, right? Like if I'm talking to the, the Illich family, I'm thinking to myself, this is the one area that you appear to be comfortable letting somebody else just defeat you for lack of effort. You're not, you're not even trying. Like what a competitive advantage it would be if the Detroit Tigers became the absolute business model for how to create a modern professional selling organization, you could transform your, your, your revenue like in, in very, very meaningful ways. So like, what are you waiting around for? You're, gonna, you're waiting for the other 31 franchises to do it? You're waiting for the NBA to be the, the leader of the pack? You're waiting for the NFL to do it? I don't understand that complacency piece and it's very bizarre to me because nothing else about professional sports screams complacency, right? I mean, teams blow up, you blow up the team if you've been, you know, a 500 record for too long because you're not quite terrible enough to rebuild and you're not quite good enough to make the playoffs. So you trade everybody and you, you know, you become terrible for four or five years. You gather a bunch of draft picks and you hope you can rebuild. I don't understand the complacency component. So those, those are the things that are um, missing and lacking. And, and I think that you all could be doing a better job of. Oh, I, I appreciate it. Um, you know, these are conversations that I think you know, are, are awesome to have. I, I you know, would defend the Tigers for a little bit here, but we are, we are definitely working towards these. Like these are conversations we have internally. We want to be better. We want to do this stuff. I think as 
as an industry, sports is just, it's, it's odd. I agree with you. Um, Cause I look at, I look at, you know, some of the you know, companies that you just talked about um, Salesforce, Gong, you know, those types and, and the cutting edge is, is always, is always there. Um, and I just feel like in sports, it's rare to find that um, with, with a team. Um, so we're, we're definitely. It just take, it, hey, it's a copycat league, Andrew. It just takes one. For sure. For sure. Right. And that's, that's my job. Part of it, right. Is to push some new ideas and make sure that we're talking about these different things and okay. um, having those conversations internally to get them hopefully approved. Yeah. Just, just take this recording and play the last three minutes, right. Of Scott talking and you're, you're like, dude, this guy is telling us what we already know. And he's saying it much more eloquently, right? Imagine what he said off camera. So. <laughs> so, uh, thanks so much for spending some time with us, Andrew. Man, this was a, this was a lot of fun for, for me in particular. I, I love talking about sports and sales. So appreciate it, man. Absolutely. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Richard. Appreciate you guys having me on. All right, man. Anytime. We'll, we'll let you know if we're getting to Detroit, too. We'll, we'll buy some tickets. Sounds good. All right, man. Catch you later.